Hey, welcome to the first episode of the OMN Alumni Podcast, the podcast all about alumni of Orange Media Network. That's the student media department at Oregon State University. I'm Steven Sandberg. I'm the assistant director at OMN. And in my time working here, I have known hundreds of students, and all of them have gone on to do such amazing things after their time at OMN. This podcast is all about exploring their stories, their journey through student media, and what they're doing now as professionals. In case you're unfamiliar with Orange Media Network, it consists of the Daily Barometer student newspaper, Damn Chic Fashion Magazine, Beaver's Digest Lifestyle Magazine, Prism Art and Literary Journal, KBVR-TV, and KBVR-FM 88.7. And that's where our first episode begins today. Our very first guest is a former station manager for KBVR-FM. He was also a radio DJ. He was the station podcast director, as well as a number of other roles at OMN. He is now working at Oregon Public Broadcasting up in Portland. My first guest today is Donald Orr. Donald. Thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, Stephen. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking time to be here. I know you've got a lot going on um, and uh, a lot happening in your life at OPB, uh, but I appreciate you taking time to, to talk with me here today. Yeah, not a problem. You know, we've been talking for a while about somehow doing a podcast. We've tossed around a few ideas um, I'm still in favor of doing the Donald and Steven talk Marvel movies podcast <laughs> at some point. That, that was one of the things we first bonded over was about Marvel comics and, and comic book movies uh, back when we first met at OSU. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fun speculating what was going to be in the next movie. Um, Infinity War came out, I think, the year I was station manager. So that was <laughs> that was a whole lot of fun. Do you find um, any instances where you can work in comic book references into your reports? Have you been able to oh. <laughs> attempt that and see what you can sneak in? I don't. I don't think I've been able to do it in my reporting per se. But there are, um, you know, at, o, at OPB we have a Marvel Slack channel that just started. So, <laughs> out oh, nice. of, uh, that started out of uh, WandaVision and the new uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier show. So it's been fun. <laughs> Uh, sharing memes and stuff like that. Oh, right on, right. And so you got some some fellow uh, comic book uh, enthusiasts there at OPB. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's been nice. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing at OPB now. You are the Jones Cirillo Emerging Journalism Fellow at OPB. What does that mean? Yeah, so the fellowship is uh, pretty new. They just started it last summer. Um, and I am with OPB as a fellow until August. And so far it's been sort of on a, on a term by term, quote unquote, uh, basis. So um, the first term um, I helped produce some segments with Think Out Loud. I worked with their production team. Um, I did a lot of pre-interviewing, um, booking and scheduling, talking to folks and um, pitching story ideas. Um, and yeah, I got to learn how to pretty much produce a radio show and work with the host. And that was really, a, that was a really great experience. Um, uh, I'm still in the middle of my fellowship. Uh, so as of right now, I've been shadowing All Things Considered. Um, and that team, uh, the the host and producer, Tiffany Kamhai and um, Crystal Ligori. Um, and that's been great. I've also been shadowing Paul Marshall, one of the producers slash hosts, um, at OPB, 
and doing some some evening announcing, which I really, really enjoy. That was something I missed doing um, at KBVR, just being on the air. So it's been great doing that again. And then uh, a look ahead um, into the spring. Next month, I'll be starting um, on the TV side with Oregon Field Guide and some science and environment reporting. So I'm really excited to dip my heels into that. Um, during my time during my time at um, Orange Media Network, I didn't get as much video experience. So I'm excited to dip my toes in and hopefully um, have a good time. So um, what, is that, what is that like having to go from primarily radio and audio reporting, and now you're going to be moving into the video and TV area. What sort of things are you having to, to kind of brush up on, or, or how are you preparing for that role change? Yeah, I'm definitely going to be asking a lot of, a lot of questions <laughs> and, and, and relying on, on the, the great folks on the TV side. Um, uh, I don't know too much yet about what exactly I'll be doing. I think part of it might be photo essays or learning, you know, the pre-production process, the editing process. Because um, from what I know, when shooting for Field Guide or Oregon Artbeat, um, a couple of their a couple of their flagship shows, um, you know, they're they're shooting these things months in advance, um, with seasons prepared for the fall or episodes in the winter. So, it's it's interesting to be. Uh, working on things that far ahead in the process, so I'm I'm excited for that. Um, as far as my own personal video experience, you know, I I dabble in um, film photography, but I I barely touched Adobe Premiere in college, so <laughs> I'm hoping I can I can um, brush up on that skill and and um, use it well. So going back to your role with OPB Radio and some of the work that you've done with Think Out Loud, I find it fascinating what goes on behind the scenes of making a radio show. Because when you listen, you think, oh, well, they're bringing people on, they're calling in, and they're talking to them. But but it's not as easy as that. There's a lot of work that goes in to producing an entire radio show. Um, so tell me a little bit about what some of those steps were, you know, like the pre-interviews, for example. What did, what did a pre-interview and that process do for preparing a radio show? Yeah, it's definitely a collaborative process, right? I mean, the show Think Out Loud, it's it's hosted by Dave Miller. He does the bulk of the interviewing live on the show, but there's a whole crew of people behind the scenes that are working to put the show together. Um, there's the executive um, producer, Sage Van Wing, um, other producers um, that are on the team as well, Samantha Matsumoto, who's been a producer for a few years, Julie Sabatier, Allison Frost. Um, Elizabeth Castillo just joined uh, the TOL team, which is which is great. Um, just a month or two ago, um, and then you know the sound engineers too, as far as editing, making sure the shows are ready for rebroadcast at eight p.m., um, and then the segments themselves. So as far as um, the folks who pitch ideas and like find track down the people and the interviewees um, for the show itself, that's all on the producers. So they're you know calling people up at um, during the day and oftentimes they're handling multiple segments at the same time and just casting lines um casting lines being you know just making as many phone calls as you can and seeing who bites um and trying to plan around that um you know there are weekly pitch meetings you can pitch ideas a lot of the time you know segments will be um tied to not just public affairs but um breaking news or things that are happening um you know what aired today when at as when we're recording this um, was you know news surrounding Oregon State University. So um, 
the pre-interview for that was was yesterday. So a lot of it can be up to the wire, but at the same time, there can be segments that have um, a lot of prep, um, you know, a few days or a week ahead too. Is there anything that you found in a pre-interview that has made an impact like on the story itself? Like did, did you ever have a time where information came up in a pre-interview or something you noticed that, that helped inform how the interview then went on the show? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a lot of the purpose of a pre-interview. Um, you know, a lot of the time when I'm doing a pre-interview, I almost treat it as, a, as my own little private radio show. You know, I have my, my questions prepared. I, I use this sort of sense of a, of a map uh, of the conversation. So I have these, these pegs of questions that I want to ask the person but if they trail off into something also interesting, I want to follow up on that too, or circle back to something they had said. Um, from that pre-interview, you know, I transcribe it, I have all these notes together, things that I think are important to mention, and then I pass those notes along to the host who bases his conversation um, live on the air um, based on the pre-interview. So a lot of what's talked about in the pre-interview by the producer, you know, helps inform the actual conversation that you listen to on the air um, or on, on a podcast um, from the host. In your time at OPB, you've also done some really excellent reporting. Uh, and you. And just from a, from a personal standpoint, I love being able to turn on the radio and hear your voice come up when you're doing a report, <laughs> or you're doing a newsread. Um, recently, you did a story on the Portland Rosebuds, which was a very short-lived Negro League team uh, in Portland in the 1940s, I believe. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that story came about and, and where you ended up taking it when you got that assignment. Yeah, I, uh, I had pitched it, I think, in early February, um, and that was just when the news had come out from the Portland Pickles, um, Portland's independent uh, collegiate team. They had announced that they were reviving um, this team name, the Portland Rosebuds, um, and that name has ties, or you know, the the purpose of re- reviving the name is was to honor the original Negro League team, um, Negro League being an all-black baseball team, right before um, there was integration in baseball. So this was at a time when baseball was still segregated. Um, and yeah, I had pitched it in early February. I thought it'd be a cool um, feature to have. I worked with um, uh, the producers with All Things Considered, Tiffany Kamhai and Crystal Ligori to sort of workshop the story. I had um, Anna Griffin, the VP of News, sort of help me um, edit it down. Um, and it, it took a while for me too, because I think the challenge of the story, um, you know, the crux of the story is honoring this legacy of this all-black team 75 years ago. Um, But there wasn't a lot that we could find as far as information, and that was something that the the owner of the league, um, Alan Miller, um, was struggling to find information about. Right, Um, you had mentioned that in the story, that there wasn't much in the way of news reports or, or radio reports or anything from that time, not a lot of it about the Rosebuds. Yeah, I was I was fortunate enough. I, I talked to another baseball historian out of Kent State University, um, and she was able to provide great um, smaller news clips um, from papers across the country because a lot of the time um, these teams would tour. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, the the season was uh, really short lived. Uh, 
just because there wasn't enough money being brought in um, uh, and attention again was turning toward um, integration when folks like Jackie Robinson uh, integrated into the majors. So um, yeah, I, I took this as an opportunity, you know, the angle being this new team is coming about this summer um, that's honoring the original team. So I try to use this story as a, as a zooming in onto the legacy of um, the original um, baseball Rosebuds, the 1946 Rosebuds, and um, explore that history because it's an often overlooked piece of um, Portland's history with baseball. One of the things I really loved about the story was that you went to the site, the former site of the Rosebuds field in Portland, and uh, you described kind of what you saw there. What did you see? What was it like being in that area where the field used to be? Yeah, it was interesting to scope it out because, you know, I just went out there with my my Zoom recorder recorder and microphone, and I just kind of described the area. Um, it It was kind of surprising to to find like to learn that a park used to be there because it is a lot of mostly open land aside from um you know there it was a mix of like industrial property but also like literally a block away you'd find like neighborhoods so the only proof there in person the only tangible proof of a baseball field being there um is this little commemorative plaque on a street corner and um you know that sort of described here's where the park was, here's where home plate was. Um, so it was really interesting to see, um, you know, the actual site of where these players played, you know, sort of replaced over um, 75 years with, you know, buildings and hotels and um, housing. It was really interesting. And if I remember your story right, even that plaque didn't mention the Rosebuds. I think it mentioned the Portland Beavers and another team, but not even the mm-hmm. Rosebuds. Right, yeah, no, it only mentioned uh, the Portland Beavers because, you know, that stadium, and, and the story gets at this too, but, you know, the stadium was primarily used by white teams and white leagues. Um, I believe the Portland Beavers were in the Pacific Coast League, so a lot of the time, these black teams would rely on um, use, utilizing white league stadiums or community stadiums and community parks. So, um, yeah, it was it was sad to learn that, you know, the team had only lasted a couple months, especially with, um, you know, if you haven't read the story or listened to the story, the Portland Rosebuds, they were owned by Jesse Owens, who's a really prominent athlete um, back then. Uh, you know, he famously went to the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, right. um, much to Hitler's uh, chagrin. And, um, <laughs> you know, after being effectively banned from the Olympics, uh, basically because of racism, you know, he went on to own this team. I think it's amazing that this history had had nearly been lost, you know, like there was so little record of that and a lot of it has been forgotten. And, and yes, it was 75 years ago, but I was really excited to hear and read your story and to see the ways that you helped bring this story to life and make those connections and, and reveal something about Portland's history uh, and about sports history uh, and, and culture in, in Portland. Um, I thought that was a terrific way to do that with your story. Uh, so excellent job on that, Donald. I, I really loved it. Thank you. So did you ever imagine when you were a DJ at KBVR that you would ever be reporting audio stories someday? Is this something that you wanted to do back when you were a student? 
back when I was a student, I mean, when I first started DJing, I wasn't even in the media program. I, I had started, when I first came to OSU, I was a computer science major, did that for a year. Um, and I had discovered KBVR through a board game night. I happened, I was going to a friend's house and um, that person's roommate was the program director. And she mentioned, like I had, I had mentioned in passing I was like, hey, sorry, I'm late to this game night. Um, I had to finish listening to the new Daft Punk the new Daft Punk song on on the radio, and she was like, oh, do you remember what the call, you know, the call uh, numbers were, what the the numbers of the station were? And I was like, I think it was like 88 something, 88 point, 88 point seven, and she was like, that's KBVR, that's you know, that's the college radio station, and that really, you know, that that. Uh, that moment of, of chance really sort of was, um, you know, the snowball like that led to this moment. I didn't, wow. I had no idea I'd be reporting or I'd be in um, radio as a profession because it started as a, as a hobby really in an extracurricular um, because by the time I had really dug my heels into DJing, I was, um, I had switched from computer science into, into biology, into pre-med. So a lot of it was that er, those early college years was a lot of self-discovery and really diving into um, what I really enjoyed, um, really contemplating, um, you know, here's this, here's this activity that at first was an extracurricular, but over time, especially talking with the amazing, amazing staff, both on the student level and um, pro staff like yourself, um, really realizing that I could make a career out of it. Yeah, um, as, as a DJ at KBVR, you were a volunteer. This is something you chose to do in your spare time, playing music and hosting shows. And then you had an amazing journey through the program, becoming the uh, podcast director and becoming the station manager of KBVR-FM and running the whole station. And then now where you are now professionally, at what point in that journey did it go from something you were doing for fun on the side into, hey, I could really do this as a career. Yeah, I think, I think you know, the turning point was really joining FM staff, which was really pivotal. I mean, going from being a DJ and, you know, trying to invest myself in my, my own show and then trying to pay it forward by um, getting hired on staff. So that first year, um, Anthony Heatherly was the station manager when I was on staff. Um, but again, that drive to be that drive to be on staff was inspired by the support and um, the guidance from past station managers. So the first station manager that I had when I was a DJ was Jody, um, and I believe her last name's Delcier now. So Jody Delcier. Um, so there's Jody, there's Matt Walton, uh, Rose, um, all these folks, uh, DJ Harriet Potter, uh, Megan Cummings like all these folks that had great shows and they really invested themselves into the DJ community. And I wanted to be a part of that too and, and sort of pay that forward. So that was a huge part of it at first. Um, but again, the turning point was really joining staff, getting my hands deep with um, audio editing and producing. Um, that first gig I had with KBVR was focused on uh, productions and podcasts. Um, so really, diving in uh, the best thing about college media i think and college radio is it's a really really excellent training grounds and really um 
giving you the guidance and the tools that you need to, to potentially do it professionally. And that was something I really appreciated. Um, you know, from there, doing the productions, planning out podcasts. I, I, I remember, you might remember this too, just the journey of getting um, podcasts onto iTunes was a big deal, <laughs> finally. More complicated on, on, than it should have been. <laughs> right, like having these, you know, having these things be accessible was awesome. And it's great to see the growth um, at Orange Media since then. Because, um, you know, seeing that growth is really awesome awesome to see both in programming and just seeing how far um, folks have come since then. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm rambling, but uh, no, that's no, okay. Yeah. I mean, you and the former station managers that you mentioned and, the, and those DJs, those alumni, they created a legacy and each subsequent class that came after them have built upon that legacy and added their own twist to it. And like you said, we're still seeing the impact from your group and the groups that preceded you on what those current students uh, are doing. Um, and it's amazing to see that. I still see influences um, in their current shows or productions that I think, oh, that reminds me of something that Donald had done or oh, that reminds <laughs> me of something that so-and-so had done. Uh, and that's, that's really terrific to see. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back here with more with Donald Orr in just a moment. We're back. We're talking with Donald Orr. He is with OPB Radio in Portland, former KBVR FM station manager during his time at OSU and class of 2019. Uh, Donald, you mentioned earlier in the show that part of what set you on this journey was you went to a board game night and heard about KBVR FM. I have to ask you, do you remember yeah. the board game or games you played that night? Oh, gosh. It was... I, I got to look it up. I, <laughs> it, it was a card game with rabbits. Um, I can't remember, but they were very colorful. And, <laughs> um, but no, it, the, the roommate I had met, uh, the roommate of my friend, it was uh, Marissa Cellini, who was the program director at the time. And I remember I, the show I was listening to was, um, I remember the exact song. It was, uh, I think it was Lose Yourself to Dance off of the off of the last Daft Punk record, uh, Random Access Memories, and Rip Daft Punk, because they just broke up. Um, <laughs> That's right. But I was listening to Shane McKinnon's show, um, which I found out later. Um, but yeah, I had mentioned it in passing, and Marissa said, hey, like I work at that station, like you should totally come to um, orientation um, in August that summer, and um, yeah, again, that was just a very pivotal moment, like meeting staff and um, uh, Jack Kemp was still with uh, KBVR at the time, and that was really pivotal, um, doing training. And um, I know me and uh, Sean Fox, who was the productions director when I was station manager, um, Sean Fox was another DJ uh, during that time in Snell Hall. Uh, uh, Sydney Wisner, DJ Sidwiz, um, Francisco, like all, folks that, that were on my staff, um, almost all of them were, were the last, um, were some of the last DJs trained in Snell Hall. So it was really cool to see, again, the pro not only the progress that folks have made in their 
you know, DJ careers, but just the progress of the, the, uh, the program itself and the opportunities that were given to students at the time. Yeah. And I, and I know that you're still friends with a lot of those DJs that you met during your time at KBVR. To me, I always saw KBVR as a very close knit community. Those DJs really had each other's backs. What was it about KBVR that brought those folks together and made them so close? Oh man. Or maybe for you, what, what was it like yeah. for you being a part of that community? I think, I, I think that's, that's the answer in itself is just community really, um, latching on to, um, being able to express yourself in a, in a new way. Um, cause again, you didn't have to be a media or, you know, an NMC or DCA or whatever it's called now. Um, you didn't have to be a media student to express yourself with a college radio show. You could be from any background and to that end, you could play whatever music you wanted. Um, back then, I think, you know, before I started as a DJ, I think there were some limitations as far as what music you could play, but I joined on right in the transition when, no, this is a, this is a safe place where you can express whatever music you'd like, or you can talk about, you know, things, um, to an extent, you know, don't, (laughs) don't do an FCC, um, thing you know don't don't curse or anything but right, um, don't get us fined <laughs> right um but you know to that end it was a really creative and safe and and an expressive place and you got to meet people um uh, uh with you know all different kinds of music tastes and backgrounds and uh, majors and degrees and that was a really beautiful thing to me and i think again over time like listen you know being able to listen to other people's shows and being able to, again, pass that torch forward and teach people was something that I really valued too. What did you like to play? Oh man, it, my, my, my music, it's funny cause like my music taste has definitely evolved over the years with KBVR. Cause when I first started, I played a lot of mostly like indie pop, like alternative. Um, but then over the years, I got really more involved with the, the local scene in Corvallis and started even booking shows myself or helped host them at least um, with the local scene. So being able to play a lot more local music, bands from Corvallis, Salem, Portland, Eugene, um, that I really valued because I really wanted to give a platform to up and coming bands, local bands, um, coordinate with Locals Live or KBVR TV and getting more new um, local music on the air. That's great. When you think back to your time in that DJ booth, and you were a DJ uh, during a time when the station transitioned from one location to another. It it was in Snell Hall when you started, and then it had moved over into the Student Experience Center where it is now in 2015. Uh, When you think back to your time in the DJ booth, what are some of those memories that come back to you? What are some of your fondest memories of your time as a DJ? Oh gosh, that's, that's, that's hard to pinpoint. I mean, at least when I first started in Snell, like I, I definitely remember, you know, Snell golf. <laughs> I remember Matt Walton <laughs> sort of playing with, uh, croquet mallets, I think. And, you know, trying to get these small, uh, balls into mugs. Um, I remember, you know, just co-hosting, uh, sharing your show with someone else and playing different music. I, you know, one thing that Francisco said, um, DJ Cisco, also the podcast director, 
the Euro Station Manager. Um, his mantra that sort of carried on after my year was, your listener is your co-host, which is really cool. Yeah, um, that's still around, by the way. Yeah, good, good. Um, so definitely, definitely learning about um, our audience to that end. But then also going back to co-hosting, just spending time with friends that 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 uh, moment of music discovery, that moment of sharing music and, and finding someone who likes that song that you played or moments where uh, a DJ really nails an intro. Um, you know, it, it was a community of a lot of positive encouragement. Um, I remember during like one of my first shows, I did uh, a whole hour based on um, on movies. Like it was like movie scores and uh, or songs from like movie soundtracks nice. because like the like the Oscars were coming up, I think. Um, and uh, Jack, the chief engineer, he called me during my first like when I did the intro because I did the little like let's go to the lobby song at the top. <laughs> and I, you know, I did my little spiel like, you know, we're going to listen to these songs about movies. Um, and he called the booth because you can do that. He called the booth and he was like, hey, that was a really, really good intro. Like I, I listened to that on my way home and that was really, really good. Um, hearing that was really, really valuable. And I, and again, I wanted to pay it forward to newer DJs and, and folks who really um, dove into it and, and try and cultivate uh, a positive DJ culture um, where people continue to grow their skills. If you could give some advice to an OSU student who may be thinking about joining KBBR but is on the fence about it, what would you tell that person? Uh, it will it will change your life for sure. It changed mine, that's for sure. <laughs> it changed my it changed my career path. It changed my major. It changed um, the friends I'm with. Um, and even if you don't go into radio, like it's it's just this really really great environment to express yourself, express the music you like. And it, it there are skills you learn through KBVR that can be applied anywhere. You know, you become a better communicator. And that's that's applicable anywhere. Um, Are there times when you're working now that you think back to something you learned at at KBVR or, or have something that kind of jumps to the front of your mind that helps you with something you're doing now? Mm. I don't know if I can point to a specific memory, but definitely the the theme, I guess, of just continual uh, failure, but also persisting through that failure and 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 turning that into success you know there are many times behind the scenes when you're working on staff where you know maybe something happens that doesn't go your way or maybe uh or even just in the context of your own dj show maybe you mess up playing a song or you hit the wrong button or or what have you you know learning learning turning those failures into learning moments is a is a constant constant theme um and you know going into opb that's something i I've had to dwell on and and try and find comfort in uh, as I work toward success. Yeah, we're always improving and always getting better. Right. Where do you want exactly. to take this from here? I mean, you have been doing a lot with OPB, and now you're going to be moving into the video and TV side coming up. Where do you hope to go with this uh, as you continue your career in professional media? That's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of my time at KBVR was focused on 
the music side, the radio side, hosting, um, trying to put a good show together. And, you know, in college, I, I did a couple stories with the barometer, but really when I joined OPB, that was when I really dipped my toes into reporting. Um, so that's been a really great learning experience over the last couple of years. Um, moving forward, I hope I can continue to hone my craft, at least as a journalist. Um, I've been really, really enjoying hosting and being on the air again. Um, I've been able to do that as recently as this week, just being able to, to do things live in a booth. I, I really, really enjoy that. But I also really, really enjoy uh, producing segments and working on a team and being in a uh, collaborative environment. So wherever the next steps take me, I hope um, at the crux of it all, I, I'll be helping tell a story and helping, you know, one of the themes, one of the, um, the student mission statements from Orange Media was, you know, elevating diverse voices. And that's something I hope I can continue to do no matter what I'm doing. And I'm sure you will. And we are super proud of you, Donald. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Yeah. Um, one final question I've got for you. What was the song that you always wanted to play on KBVR that you just never got a chance to by the time you wrapped up? What, if oh, you could gosh. go back and host that same show tomorrow, what would, what would you be playing? Oh, man, that's hard. Uh, I gotta go through. <laughs> I gotta go through my playlist. I guess uh, the only the only thing I can say is just playing stuff that's out now. And I know that's not possible, like playing songs from the future. Um, but you know, again, I I really really enjoyed playing um, songs that my friends made and really building the community through music, even outside KBVR, through those shows. Um, I I would have loved to play. Uh, songs that are out now that that um play them on the air um yeah some of them had cuss words so i guess i wish i could have played those <laughs> without an fcc fine but um yeah just playing more um local music for sure and i wanted to add before before you ended i would not have been here i would have not made it to obb without your guidance and mentorship Stephen. so i really really appreciate that uh, Thank you, well. Donald. That really means a lot. And you are where you are because of your hard work and your talent and your perseverance. <laughs> but thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for those kind words. Uh, where can folks uh, follow you if they want to learn more information or follow you on social media? What, what sort of yeah. what's your handle? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at NotDonald, even though I am Donald. Um, you can find me there. Um, you can find me at opb.org and look for my uh, little author page for for stories um other than that uh just on twitter <laughs> right on well donald orr is the jones cirillo emerging journalism fellow at oregon public broadcasting and a former kbvr fm station manager donald thank you so much for being here thanks Stephen. If you want to learn more about Orange Media Network, just go to orangemedianetwork.com to check out the students' work or go to omn.oregonstate.edu to sign up. We'll see you next time on the OMN Alumni Podcast.